Welcome to the live period. I'm your host, Nick Goodwin. And I'm Thomas Villianco with Villianco Hoops. And I'm Brandon Goebel with Juco Advocate and Verbal Commits. All right, guys, welcome back to the live period. Today, Thomas and I are going to be talking to Daniel Poneman and Jay Sean Tate. Uh, Daniel is the co-founder of Beyond Athlete Management and an agent. And Jay Sean Tate, former Ohio State Buckeye and current Sydney King player. How are we doing, guys? Terrific. Doing great. Doing great. Glad to be here. I appreciate you coming on. Um, this one's going to be uh, a little different. We've got uh, two guys on today talking at the same time. Daniel is Jay Sean's agent. And so we thought it'd be interesting to just kind of dive into the whole process of becoming a professional basketball player. This is something Thomas and I hear all the time when we're dealing with kids, when they talk about, you know, what do they want to do when they're done playing in college, that they, they want to go overseas, they want to be a pro. Um, a lot of guys are really casual with it, where they say, hey, I'm just going to go overseas and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play pro basketball, like, like it's no big thing. And um, I think there's a, there's a huge misconception out there about much goes into that process. Um, you know, there's obviously wide ranges from the NBA on down to the, you know, the lower leagues around the world uh, of what professional basketball looks like, but at every level, there is a lot of stuff that goes into that. So we're going to kind of dive into that today and, and hear, you know, a, a couple different angles here from not only the player, but also from the agency side of it, um, you know, with some guys that uh, have some really deep experience. And then of course our co-host here, uh, Thomas uh, played nine years overseas as well. And we'll have a, a lot to give to that. And for those of you that know me, no, I will have nothing to add to what it's like <laughs> to play overseas. So um, let's just go ahead and dive into some uh, some background here. Uh, we're going to start with Dan. Dan, obviously, uh, people that know us know that you and I got to be friends uh, helping a, a player. Um, and then we, we co-founded uh, Juco Advocate together. And then uh, you chose a different path and, and went into the the agency side of things. Why don't you tell the listeners that don't know your background though, a little bit more about how you got into this game. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Brandon. So, you know, I, um, I ran a college scouting service for 10 years, uh, starting when I was in high school. So my job was similar to what your job is now, Brandon, uh, you know, helping colleges uh, identify high school players, junior college players and helping make, I was basically a matchmaker for high school players and colleges. So I was like uh, an agent, for amateur players before I was an agent for pro players. So from age 15, when I first started my recruiting website through my mid twenties, I was just kind of uh, a connector between colleges and high school players. I ran showcases and camps and all that good stuff. And then really it was when I met you, Brandon, that I felt I could graduate on from that world and become an agent because I knew that you were better at it than me. And I felt <laughs> that uh, the amateur uh, basketball world was in good hands. I could leave knowing that, that, uh, the, the uh, evolved version of me had taken my place and, and was going to do a good job. So you, you started, you know, it started with one player that we helped uh, Solomon Hyena, who we're still friends with to this day, you know, get from junior college to division one. And then I remember that first summer, it started with one player, you emailed me and then two and then five. And then next thing you know, you had a spreadsheet of every available junior college player in the country. And we're emailing it to hundreds of college coaches. And at that point I was like, all right, you got this. I'm going to go do this other thing. And I became a, a NBA agent. And uh, that was about five years ago. I think Jay Sean was like my second client uh, I ever signed. And, you know, it's been all, all uphill for, for both of us since then. 
All right, Jay, Sean, um, we're going to uh, just kind of dive into your background here a little bit. Why don't you just kind of talk to us about, you know, growing up and, and coming up in basketball up until uh, the time there when you, you decided to go to Ohio State? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm born and raised till I was 10 years old in uh, Toledo, Ohio. lived with my mom. Uh, my dad was a professional basketball player overseas um, at the time, and um I ended up losing her to domestic violence when I was 10. So um, ultimately moved uh, down to Columbus um, with my uh, father and his new wife and my brothers and sisters and uh, just grew up there. Um, you know, it was a, a period in my life where I had to do a lot of adjustments, um, go through counseling, anger management, stuff like that. And um didn't really start playing sports until I moved down to Columbus. Uh, football was a, my first sport that I really picked up, and I was pretty good at it. And, uh, you know, my dad being a basketball player, he, uh, you know, kind of pushed me towards basketball as well. I was terrible, terrible <laughs> at it. Um, man, I was pretty, always pretty good at football, but I was terrible at basketball. Uh, I actually didn't start actually getting in the game till probably seventh, eighth grade, you know, moved down when I was in third grade. But um, I never forget I was at the hoop and we had a tournament and I had got fouled like three times in a row while um, driving to the basket. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is all you got to do. Like, this is, this is pretty easy, you know? So like, I'll never forget that moment. Um, in eighth grade is when I it finally started connected. You know, I always was undersized. I always wanted the short guys. Uh, on the team, but I always could rebound the ball. And um, that's ultimately what I just did when I got in the game until, you know, eighth, ninth grade. Um, I left my AAU team, which was loaded because we had so much talent. We had guys like Dakar Johnson, Tyler Ulis, um Vince Edwards, Javon Best, like guys who went to, you know, high major and even in the NBA right now are playing overseas. So, um, my dad thought it would be a great idea for me to uh, join All Ohio, uh, which is the AAU team here in Columbus. Well, in Ohio, it's the Nike EYBL one. So uh, that was my first year, you know, on a team where um, it wasn't as much talent. So um, I could, you know, be seen by a lot more coaches. And um, ultimately, that's when I got my first offer, which was to uh, Detroit. And I thought, I, I'm going D1. I'm going – you know, like I got one, like I'm good. And, um, you know, it, it kind of took off from there. Um, every year, uh, more coaches started to come. And I never forget when uh, that Mata called me. And uh, I was like, dang, like I got, I just got on the, off the phone with that model. Like, you know, my dad went to Ohio State. Uh, my coach from uh, high school, who actually coached my dad at Ohio State and played there, Jerry Francis. Um, was like a big part of my, um, you know, growing up and development in high school. We won a championship together there. And um, I just knew I wanted to go uh, be a Buckeye. I actually came down to Ohio State in Michigan, you know, being from Toledo, um, it's close to home. I knew I wanted to be close to home. Um, but, you know, I just always had a soft spot in my heart for, for Buckeye Nation. And so – when you, you know, funny, Brandon, he mentioned he said he was like undersized when he was younger, but he recently right. sent me some footage 
from when he was like in the seventh grade. He was like six feet tall with like a size 15, 16 shoe. Like it's like bizarre looking. You see yeah. a little dude with these massive feet. That was definitely, uh, it, you, everybody knows there's a difference between uh, like the, like the uh, you know, school league and then AAU, you know? Right. Uh, so I was always, of course, I was bigger than the, you know, average guy when I played, you know, junior high for my school. But once you go on that scene uh, against, you know, top top guys in the nation, dudes dunking in the fifth grade, it, <laughs> it gets a little crazy. They all got size 15 shoes, but they're also 6'6". Six, six, so, <laughs> you know. um, so you go to Ohio State, and and I know – you know, you're, you're out there, you're, you're, you're growing, you're getting better, your numbers are getting better. But at, at some point, I know during that process, like you weren't sure if basketball was going to be for you anymore, right? Yeah. What, what, what kind of happened there and what, what I guess changed uh, to, to just keep you down the path that you wound up on? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, growing up, like I said, I was pretty uh, dominant in football. I had a couple offers to play and um you know when people see me that they think you know that first thought in their head was uh you should he's a football player he should play football so um you know my first year at Ohio State was great when we went to the tournament um and uh, I got to play with some really great dudes all, all all four years I got to play with really great dudes but um you know after our freshman year you know we started to you know lose lose ground and um didn't make the tournament actually was the worst record in that amount of history. I think we were like one of his only teams not to get the 20 wins. So like, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty uh, tough, tough year. And then you put on top of that, uh, we had our whole freshman class transfer. Um, coach Mata stepped down as a uh, head coach. We, we didn't make the tournament. Um, and yeah, so like we're in the summer and like we don't have a we don't have a coaching staff. Like we barely have a team. Like four guys just left or the senior had graduated and like that at that time in my life I felt like I wasn't having fun, you know, playing playing the sport that I loved growing up. You know, it just wasn't fun. Like it felt like every day, um, you know, like it was more of a job or a chore than you know, doing doing what we, we love to do, which is like go compete. It wasn't like that. It was like more off the court and mental stuff than just being a, you know, focusing on basketball. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I went in, I'll never forget, I went into Coach Mata's office. And at first I went into Greg Paulus, who, you know, did the trans, transformation from uh, basketball to football, played QB at uh, Syracuse and I'm like yo what do you think like I'm thinking about doing this you know I, I even talked to the football program um, I talked to them when I graduated as well but this was my sophomore junior junior season and uh, ultimately him and coach Mata said the same thing they're like this is your legacy like you you're, you're going to be a three-year captain at this at this school and you know the the students, the fans, everybody loves you, and you're from here. Like you can't abandon the ship. You got to see this through. And if you want to, you know, go out for the football team, 
uh, as a grad transfer your fifth year because you have the opportunity to do that you can so that was a big talk that I had with them and it uh, really gave me the motivation to come out and try to finish it off on a good foot. So then that senior year, you know, Holtman comes in. Somehow you guys, you know, I, I, I remember watching this season thinking like, how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, watching everything that was going on because this was, this was when I had really kind of started, you know, getting – you know, the wheels rolling with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I was paying a lot more attention to basketball nationally than, than I had been before. Yep. And seeing seeing that team and seeing you guys accomplish what you accomplished and just thinking like, ah, <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, that, that what what I, I guess did when Holtman came in, was there something just about yeah. that family atmosphere, something that he created? I mean, you guys just clicked right away. Yeah, um, and that's a credit to – you know, well, ultimately, Gene Smith for hiring Coach Holtman. Like, I don't think there was a better um, coach that really bought into, like, making sure that the guys that he there, that were there, were his guys as well. You know, like, a lot of times you hear that head coaches come in and they use the first week as a sweep uh, or for the seniors, you know, to get them out and then start the recruiting process for the next year. Um, but that wasn't the case with Coach Holtman. Um, he wanted it, me and Kater to have like a terrific and Cam a, a terrific senior year. And, you know, the guys who recruited around us, um, not only for the culture of the program, but also to just help us actually compete to get to the NCAA tournament were great. Like that team, everybody bought in. The coaching staff was great. Like there's not one, there was like really no rough edges. Like it, it was kind of, like jumping in and, and we got the wheels moving and when a team uh when a team comes together and everybody knows their role and do- doesn't care about you know uh, the points they score or you know the stats but they just want to win uh that's that's what makes it so successful and um you know it was a great ride and i think we we did a lot of a lot in that season that a lot of people couldn't do um if it wasn't for coach Holman. so for sure so you finish up at Ohio State, and maybe we'll go to Dan here first to just mm-hmm. kind of talk about, Dan, is you're, you're new in the business. Your second year as an agent was, was that, that year. What were you looking for um, as an agent when, you know, you're, you're looking at Jay Sean saying, you know, this is somebody that this is somebody I want to sign. This is somebody that I want to kind of kick off my, my career, so to speak, with. Yeah, so you know, I technically I was a second year agent, but I was in my twelfth year working in basketball, so I wasn't like new to it. And you know, I was uh, lucky, I guess, that I you know I have a scouting background, so I was able to always able to identify guys, you know, looking for value propositions, right? Guys whose talent uh, far exceeded the notoriety they were getting in, in the draft cycle, right? And you know, I knew that was kind of the way. It was like a money ball approach. Like that's kind of the way that I would win. You're going up against these people who've been doing agents for 30 years. Well, I got to outsmart them with with finding you know under the radar players. And it's funny like you talk about football. People were you know telling J, JT, oh, you should go try out for you know the Raiders or something. You know, you should go play tight end. But this is a guy who was an all a multi-time All Big Ten basketball player. He wasn't all Summit League or you know Conference USA. He was an All Big Ten player, three-time captain, started over 100 games, played all five positions on the floor, like 
is a is a good basketball player. When you watch him live, there's a certain magnetism to the way he plays. Just like you know the little things, it's, it doesn't that don't show up on a box score. So um, you know it was a no brainer for me to recruit him, and we had a lot of mutual relationships. Joey Lane, who was a player, a teammate of his, was our intern the summer before. Evan Turner, who I've worked with for a long time, a very close friend, is a mutual friend of ours. And you know, Evan offered to make the introduction, so we we talked and we just clicked. I mean, it, you know, at first, like I felt kind of like um, like Jerry Maguire, you know, where it's like him and Rod Tidwell, where it's like, you know, you 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 know, you pour so much into somebody, and it's like you know you believe in them, and, and you just want the world to see it. And you know, me and my partner EJ uh, both felt that way about JT from the jump. And then uh, over the course of the last you know few years, I guess the rest of the world has gotten to to, to see that. Awesome. So Jay, when you're, when you're then going through this process as a player, um, you know, for the guys that are out there listening that are, that are thinking about their next move, their, their pro career, like that thought process that you went through in regards to, you know, for, for this, for now, let's just say choosing an agent, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of the first thing somebody at your level that, that is, is an all big 10 guy that um, has aspirations to play in the NBA uh, you know, that agency choice is, is a big deal. So what, you know, it's something you've, it's so funny because all these kids go through this doing something they've never done before. Right. Yeah. So what, what do you, what were you thinking about? What, I, I guess I know there was some prior relationship stuff, but what really kind of drove home the fact that maybe this was the choice that, that you should make? Um, yeah. Uh, I definitely wanted to um, make sure I went with a guy that, you know, you can trust like, and I know that's, you know, hard to, really take in because you're meeting these guys for the first time. But like, you, you, you know, when somebody's being genuine and you know, when somebody is feeding you what you want to hear. And I think that when I talked to DP and EJ, like those guys really were looking out for the best interest in me. You know, they didn't sell me a dream. They didn't tell me all these things. They didn't try to bribe me. Um, but they just wanted to know, like get me, they wanted to do the best for me. And there's not a lot of people in the business, I feel like, um, that actually do that. They, you know, they're just trying to get as many clients or trying to get the best clients for themselves instead of, you know, just putting a guy in a spot that he actually will thrive and actually will do good. And I feel like going with them, at the time, they didn't even have a name. Uh, we didn't, like, our, the, our agency didn't even have a name. So... Um, that tells you the character of, you know, DP and, and the guys um, in, in the agency. Yeah. I remember, gosh, I think, is that when we went to dinner, you came to Denver, Dan, and you were, you, you were going over names for, for the agency and you had, you had something else that you were going to go with. The, before. the naming thing was so tough. We had, <laughs> yeah, we had clients before we had a name and um, yeah, it was, it was me and EJ and Mike and Jelani and we're just like, have a group chat where it's going like throwing out we went through so many working titles of names and then beyond actually came on my birthday that year so i guess um four months after jay sean signed i saw a license plate that said beyond and i was in michigan mm-hmm. and that was how we we came up with the name and then ran it by the group and we all co-signed it um but uh but yeah i mean to speak more to that process like it, it's funny the agent selection process in relation to the college selection process like people get recruited by college just for three, four years. Like JT, when was that first Detroit offer? Was that sophomore year? Yeah, fresh. Yeah, going into sophomore right, year. So you had three plus years to pick 
uh, a college, you can go on visits, you get to know them, you get letters, you go, uh, go to games. A lot of people wait till after their senior year to pick an agent. So there's no way to like really build trust. It's just like three or four strangers and they're telling you all the great players they have and you have no idea if you can trust these people or not. It's a really tough decision. I think there's a, a negative stigma around agents because some of the people in our business do bad things. They bribe players, they cheat. People say, you know, stay away. But now you're a senior finishing your, your senior year. How are you supposed to know who to trust? It's really hard to do. Luckily for us, we had a lot of mutual friends, again, like Evan Turner and Joey Lane, where, where you know, it was, and it's a two-way street too. It's not only the player picking the agent, but it's the agent picking the player. If I'm taking you on as a client, now I'm giving a huge portion of my life, my day-to-day, you know, my time to you. Is this going to be someone that that it's almost like dating? Is am I going to find out this girl's crazy a month from now and I'm already married to her? You know, um, not to imply you're a girl in any way, Jayshon. <laughs> you know, it's like you're you're really marrying this person, and we we talk every day, and it's like you you learn that person through the course of time and. I think for us, it was like, all right, we had a lot of mutual friends and it ended up working out great. But I feel bad for a lot of kids who maybe don't have someone like Evan Turner in their corner to say, hey, this is my guy. Now you're trusting somebody that you've never you've met twice, maybe, or met through Zoom, and you have no idea what their true character is. It's not like a college where you can Google the college basketball rankings. You can't Google the agent rankings and know who you can trust. Um, so it's, a lot of times it's a shot in the dark for a lot of these guys. Absolutely. Well, Dan, Thomas, you, you and I have talked about uh, several times like how the it has to change. And I know there's certain changes happening, but there has to be something better for players in college to be able to de- decipher through all the BS and, and, and really get to know agencies and not let the NCAA or, or whoever you want to call it get, you know, get weird about things. Because like you said, guys get done, you know, let's say the final four happens you know, you, you you might have known an agent for a few months, maybe, and then you might have to sign something within the next week or two to like get things rolling for summer league and workouts and all this. It's such a tough process um, that things just have to get better for the college athlete because, like anything, like you should be studying finances and all this stuff when you're in high school. You should be studying how to do a checkbook and how to use credit cards. It's the same thing with this and agents that guys get so pressured. And so many make the wrong decision, and I think it could be stopped, but it just has to be—I uh, don't know—more educated, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I always joke that like a player is finishing college going pro, and like you said, that there's no education process. There's no class called um, becoming a, a professional basketball player 101 when you're in college. You don't learn that in school. So you take history and geometry and science and all these that you don't learn becoming a professional basketball player. Now JT is lucky because he has this Ohio state brotherhood where he knows John Diebler and uh, uh, Evan Turner and Mike Conley and all these guys, his dad played professional basketball. His network is crazy. So when we're, when he's going through that process, he's got people to lean on. But for a lot of these other kids, they have no idea what to expect. They could easily get duped because um, there is no class on how to pick an agent. It's more so they, they don't want you to say the word agent, think about an agent, think about being a pro when you're in college. A lot of college coaches don't want agents around the program for good reason because it can be a distraction. If you got an underclassman, you got an agent in their ear saying you got to leave school, take this bag, take this money, that can undermine a program and ruin a kid's life. So there's good reason for it. Like I'm not going to defend our our species, the agent species. There's a lot of people in this business that I respect and I think they do a great job. But there's actually probably more that I think are just trying to get theirs. And um, I think the stigma. It 
for a good reason doesn't apply to everybody. Right. So Jay Sean, you, you, the, the draft happens. Let's, let's kind of go back actually even prior to the draft. So as you're preparing for that, like not really knowing what the next six months look like for your pro career. So preparing for the draft, um, maybe talk a little bit about, about what that process looks like. And then Dan, you can kind of chime in here on, on helping set up, you know, workouts and, you know, getting summer leagues uh, looks and, and all that sort of thing. When that, when that clock starts and it says, okay, it's time to start working out for teams. Like what is, what does your preparation look like, Jay Sean? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for all the upcoming guys, I think that whole process is like an antsy one, you know, you're just like so excited and ready to, you know, um, figure out when's your next workout or, or, you know, what teams are interested. And it, it's, it's one of the slowest processes, processes, that I've all, ever been a part of. Um, you know, I, it was times where I called DP, like, so, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, uh, we're still talking to this team. We're still talking to that team, but you just got to sit pretty. We're, we're good. We're fine. And, um, you know, me coming out, being an undersized uh, four or a tweener, it was uh, it was pretty tough. Like, there wasn't as many people I thought um, – that were really interested in me. And um, I actually didn't get a workout until uh, probably the last week of workouts. So that whole time uh, I was down in Indiana uh, working out with my guy, Joey Burton, trying to improve my shot for pre-draft workouts, because that is, you know, the main thing that, you know, when teams look, they're like, he has to improve on shooting. So, you know, we're working day in, day out over there. And you're just wait, you're really playing the waiting game for a team to, um, you know, call you and fly you out and uh, work out. So uh, I think my first workout was, who was it, DP Utah? I remember, yeah, you had Utah, Utah, Indiana, Chicago, Milwaukee. Yeah. And so I went out to Utah, and there already is an elevation, uh, you know, thing going on up there. But, like, you're working hard, and you're basically competing as hard as you can for about an hour. Uh, hour and a half and um, really that's the only impression other than the film that you have in uh, college that you're leaving these coaches so everybody's out there going as hard as they can and um, after that they just send you home and you wait on the next one um, but uh, every every workout I felt like you, you get more comfortable you know that first one is a little jittery then the second one you're a little more comfortable and you know so on so on and by the time I got to Milwaukee um, I was I was ready to go, and it was one of my best workouts. And I ultimately got invited to go to summer league with. Yeah, and it's I remember that like I think when you when you recruit a player and then they sign with you, it, for a moment it's exhilarating. It's like yes, like I got what I wanted, and then it's like oh now I got to get to work. Now I have to convince all these teams to see what I see. And I remember that summer, like I remember coming down to visit you in Indiana working with Joey and being like, yo, dude, like I'm calling these teams and like, I'm trying to get them to see what I see, but they, they got a list of guys ahead of you. Like we, the Portsmouth Invitational, didn't, Jay Sean didn't get invited to Portsmouth, the top seniors in the country. Now what's crazy is there's 64 guys that were in uh, Portsmouth. Now don't, no disrespect to them, but I think Jay Sean professionally has now passed up probably 62 of them at this point um, in, in, in just a few years. But at that time we, we were, we had a chip on our shoulder. We were like the underdogs. We're going into this, like, all right, they don't believe in us. We got to, you know, we got something to prove. So 
finally you get these teams is to invite him in for a workout. He just starts knocking them out, each one like crushing it. I remember he went to Utah. He calls me afterwards. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to say who it was. There was a first-round pick in there. He was going half speed in the drills. I was just cooking him. And they, I call Utah, and they say, say that he was cooking him. Then we go to Indy, and they call me up like, yo, we need him for summer league. This dude's good. And we go to Chicago. Hey, yo, we need this dude for summer league. He's good. We go to Milwaukee. Hey, we need him for summer league. He's good. They about offered him right there on the spot. And I never seen that where you go from no workouts to four in a row, and you basically have four summer league offers. And it just shows that it was just like you just needed to get in front of people. And then I won't, I guess if you want to say what happens next, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> the next week. Wait, before you tell what yeah. happened, I want you to know that when, when the, the choice was made for which summer league you're going to go to, I made, I made a Jersey swap graphic <laughs> of you for it and i sent it to dan and that dude never did shit with it i was scrolling through my oh phone. man i, I was scrolling through my phone and i saw that. i was like they never, they never did anything with this thing that's funny <laughs> i gotta see that i gotta yeah. see that <laughs> all right man so what so what happens next you you get you get all yeah. these offers and then and then what yeah um like dp said like i was you know getting some summer league offers from all these teams and like I said, this is the last week of workouts. You know, I only really got to work out with four, four or five teams. And um, I just felt that Milwaukee wanted me the most. Like, they called DP. They told, told me that they called DP during the workout. Like, yo, we need to do locked in. And, uh, like, the coaches they had that were, um, you know, we were practicing with. And they, I just felt at home in Milwaukee. You know, I think they have a great organization. And the offenses that um, they ran, I thought it would be beneficial to me. So I uh, went to, went to uh, practice with them, like the mini camp for summer league, um, played really well. Last day, broke my finger on the last play. And uh, like I said, they have a great facility there. So, like, I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, I'm fine. I'm good. And they're like, no, nah, let's go upstairs. They got, like, a hospital connected to the practice gym. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. They're like, yeah, let's come up these elevators. We take an x-ray. X-ray comes back, and my finger is split in two. I'm like, oh, man. Um, so I had to get surgery. But um, the Bucks still wanted me to, you know, um, come and be on the team, support, get the summer league experience, and I thank them for that. Wow. I, I remember where I was when the Bucks first called me about how much, how well he was doing in the workout. I was with, at my mother's house in San Francisco, right before my sister's uh, med, uh, med school graduation party. I remember I turned on the shower and then I see Ryan Hoover's calling me. And you know, you're like, damn, is it going to be a long call? I'll make it a quick call. So I got, mm -hmm. I got the shower running. So Hoover calls me and he's just like gushing, like, this is, a, he's got bucks DNA. This dude is good. Da, 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 da. I'm like, so, so amped. And then that come down like a few, like a week later when, you get that call like right before summer league, that broken finger call. Um, but it's all, you know, there's a reason for everything. You know, it was, it was definitely a bummer. I remember having conversations daily in, in Las Vegas, like watching his teammates play and not being able to participate. And uh, it wasn't the last, and then we'll get to next, what happened the following summer league. We took, had another unfortunate break the first day of the next summer league. Um, well, Dan, if you can, if you can speak on, if I don't know if you want to call it backtracking, but, as we always talk about Brandon and Dan about players that are like, Hey, 
I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna play in the summer league. I'm, I'm gonna go NBA. I'm gonna do this. Like <laughs> we're talking about a player in Jay Sean that is an All Big Ten guy, team captain, Ohio State. I mean, you could say he's a legend. Like he he's done some great things at Ohio State. And he Top had twenty four, score in school history. Yes, and he had four summer workouts, which you I'm sure you grinded away to get those DP because you know he didn't get to Portsmouth, so people were sleeping on him. This is an All Big Ten selection. This guy's the creme de la creme and he's grinding away trying to get some summer league chance and like to speak on that a little bit more of like and, and Jay Sean feel free to speak up as well like we see it all the time and it's like when when will players start realizing how hard this really is Dan you go ahead first yeah I mean you know luckily you know Jay Sean's career has panned out fantastically but you see a lot of guys um, where, you know, they think that it gets better after college. But for a lot of guys, that is their peak. Um, for a lot of guys, like you see guys eager to leave early. You see there's 200 names on the uh, early entrant list for the NBA draft. And there's only 60 spots in the draft. And it's a lot, like a lot of these guys are in a rush for what? Like it's it, the college pro basketball is a brutal business. It's about results. It's about delivering. You go to Europe, you'll get cut quick if you're not winning games. There's no... I'm going to just transfer to this other school. Um, I was just talking to a college coach today. I'm not going to say who, but he has a player who is testing the waters in the NBA draft and basically is like, uh, if I don't get drafted, I'll just play in the G League. And it's like, bro, you're at a high major school. You're a star. You got the fans. Why are you in a rush to get to the G League? But um, guys don't realize what that that world is like. And uh, again, luckily, you know, out of you know willpower and hard work, JT's risen to the top of that world, but um, not everybody has that same result. So when, when, when all this happens and, I, and I'm trying to remember, cause of course I was talking to Dan through this whole process, you, you have, you have the surgery and, and miss the summer league, but then that same August, right. When it's done, that's when you sign your first pro contract to yeah. go overseas. Now I imagine maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine that when you're at Ohio state and you're an all big 10 guy, and you're one of the best scorers in the history of a high major program. You probably didn't think Antwerp, Belgium, was mm-hmm. the first place that you would that you would yeah. be playing professional basketball. Um, I, I guess you know that there's. I, I definitely want to hear from Dan on like what went into the process of of kind of seeing Antwerp as the best opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even kind of remember him telling me about this when it happened. But when you heard. Antwerp was going to be the best opportunity. How did you kind of, I, I guess, process that when you think like I was, I was about to go kill in the summer league for the bucks mm-hmm. and maybe I'm going to flip that into a contract and now I'm headed to Belgium. Like how yeah. did you kind of process that and view that? Um, honestly, the whole, uh, the whole thing was humbling, you know, like we go back to talking about how guys think it's, you know, going to be easy. Like, Oh, well, I'm just going to go, you know, after this, I'm only here a few years and I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm going to be, uh, make a bag in the NBA or get drafted. And that's not the case. And especially like guys who are, you know, upperclassmen, it's even harder. Um, and like when I graduated, I thought that there were going to be a lot of, you know, teams interested in, because of what I did in college and, um, for some guys, that's just not the case. Like, like, like Deacon said, there's only 60 spots, you know. So, um, there, 
if you're not on the radar early, uh, I mean, half of those spots are going to, you know, one-year guys, like young high school guys coming in, at the one and dones. And, you know, for a senior to, you know, get drafted, he, he's probably, unless he had an incredible year, he's probably looking late the second round, which um, contracts aren't even guaranteed. So um, coming out, you know, it was definitely humbling. And uh, i never forget, I actually was at the Beyonce Jay-Z uh, concert and uh, me and my girlfriend had drove up there and um, this is like a couple of weeks after um, I broke my finger and it's getting late like a lot of people a lot of the guys who are going overseas um, are gone you know summer league's over guys are going to camps uh, or signing exhibit tens and I knew I told GP like I did not want to do the G League like we we thought that um, the way my style of play was and is like the G League just wasn't, you know, my first stop. So um, fast forward, they gave me a call like, yo, uh, this team in Antwerp in Belgium. I'm thinking Antwerp is, first of all, I'm telling everybody, yeah, I'm going to Germany. I'm going to Belgium. <laughs> I, I thought if the team was in Germany. I'm like, you know, um, calling Cliff. I'm like, I'm in that league. He played in a completely different country in a completely different <laughs> league so um yeah i literally thank god i had um clothes in my car because because like i didn't get to go home i didn't say bye to any of my family i had to hop on a plane from buffalo new york and right to Antwerp. that was my first time out of the country so you went from the concert to from the Antwerp. Well, I, I left the next day, left the next day, the concert that night, I got a call. They wanted me to come out as a tryout for uh, two months. They're like, he's undersized. We don't know if he'll fit in Europe, but we'll give him a try because we're done a guy. And that was really the, the only opportunity that I had, unless there was, you know, a G League team. But as an overseas, uh, I had some second division of Israel offer. Uh, yeah, I, like it wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting, and that's when I knew like this business, like this business and being a professional athlete is is really hard. It was really hard to do, no matter if you're in the NBA, overseas, but there's just not a lot of opportunity out there. Right. So my, you know, one of my friends who you actually played against in the semis this year, Stanton kids started in Belgium as well, mm-hmm. kind of went through that process working up, played in the NBA this year, Dan, when you, when you started working on these teams and these offers for Jay Sean, what, I guess, what, what attracted you to the Antwerp opportunity? Cause I do remember when this happened, you saying something to me about like that, this is, you know, people may hear Antwerp Belgium and think like, what the hell is this? but not only how good this basketball is, but that this is going to be a legit opportunity where if he, if he does well with this, this is going to, he's going to be able to springboard from this. Yeah, well, I got to give credit. I can't take credit there. My partner, EJ Kushner um, had a lot of experience working in Belgium. He had had another player play for Antwerp before. So he had the relationship there and he really found the offer and, and knew intuitively that it was going to be the right fit. Like the thing with overseas basketball, and I guess I'm speaking now, to anyone listening who is a college coach or is advising young players like this overseas basketball thing is like, uh, it could be a, a, a four year college class of understanding the different leagues, the different coaches, the nuance, the different leagues and the, the ownership groups and the, you know, it's, it's wild. And, and, you know, 
like Jay Sean said, he had some offers. He had second division offers in Iceland and, you know, Finland, some of these offers. Yeah. He had, I remember he had the offer in Finland and, you know, offers that are, are, are solid, but not for a player that caliber, but for those higher caliber teams, they don't want rookies because these guys want to keep their jobs and they want, you know, for them, it's about, we have to win. We have to win our league. We have to have a good season or else I'm going to get fired as a coach. He's going to get fired as a GM. So we need dudes who can perform. So rookies are always a big risk. So even coming, you know, people talk about going overseas. Well, here's an all big 10 player who we're having to, this, the GM of, of this team in Antwerp is asking EJ, um, well, are you sure he can defend players at the Champions League level? He can, can he defar- defend fours. And EJ is like, dude, look at the film. He was guarding twos, threes, fours, and five, you know, in the Big Ten, uh, top 25 team, NCAA tournament, uh, NBA players, but they're they're nervous about rookies. Um, so, like you said, it was a, the reason he had to leave right away was it was a, a two-month tryout contract. They had a, a player get injured. Um, I think it was Tyler was injured, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And Tyler Kalinowski, who went to uh, Davidson, was injured, and they needed someone to replace him. So it was funny. It went from a two-month tryout contract, and within two weeks being there, they were trying to extend it to two years. <laughs> they saw him play live, and they were like trying to like, oh, no, we'll, we'll keep it at one year for now. <laughs> EJ, had, had played, you know, my partner EJ played five years overseas, so he knew the ins and outs of these different leagues, and he had identified Antwerp. And this is where it gets complicated. Like a lot of rookies want the highest paying job right out of the gate. When you're a rookie, it's not about the highest paying job. It's about where you can get the best exposure, the best development, the best opportunity to springboard to a better league. So you mentioned Stanton started in Belgium and then he ended up playing uh, Darussa Faka the next year, I believe, or two years later. Uh, two years. He went to Germany so, after. Yep. Right. So Stan Kier, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he went to the real Germany in, instead uh, of the fake uh, Belgian one. And then he was in uh, Australia. We played against him this year. Played yep. against him this year, yeah. So, like, yeah. Belgium is a league that's not one of the top leagues. It's not um, uh, Spain, Italy, France, but it has uh, some top teams. It's right right, in, you know, in that, that sweet spot where a young player can go there and blow up, particularly because he's playing Champions League. So uh, those of you out there listening, you don't know what Champions League is, you have your domestic league in Europe where you have your uh, – you know, you'll play one game a week against a Belgian team, and then you'll have Champions League, which is uh, you're playing against the champions, the top teams in other countries. So, what, I mean, you must have traveled to 12 team, twelve different countries that first year. 15. 15, 15 countries as a week. So, in each time he goes to play against a different country, now you're getting exposure to that country. So, remember, he played his breakout game was against uh, Jerusalem. Amari Stoudemire was on that team. He, he scored 24 points, hit like six threes, and now I'm getting calls from scouts and you know, countries around the world because that's a that's a big game. Um, what were some of the other big games you you, you played against the ACB Ike. teams? Yeah, Ike Athens, a team that had turned him down earlier that year when we tried to get them beside him, and then he went and killed yeah. Ike in, in 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 Greece. So throughout that year playing Champions League, now he's he's become this big star all across Europe because he's one by one going to each country and dominating their best team essentially. So um, yeah, I mean, he could have gotten paid you know theoretically double in a different you know, country off the map, but like that was that perfect spot where he built a reputation worldwide. Dan, and it was probably a lot of fun too, right, JT? I oh, loved it, loved it. Like I said, I had never been out of the country. So first of all, I don't even know what Europe looks like. You know, like I'm like, do they drive on the other side of the road? Like, what, do, does anybody speak English? What am I gonna eat? Like, I've never had been away from Ohio for more than, 
you know, two weeks. So, um, so it was definitely an adjustment. But when I got there, man, it was one of the best experiences of, of my pro career. I know it's only been two years and I've been saying that it's been the best every two, every year. So like, I'm, I'm trying to keep that going. Dan, if you can speak on, I, I just, I get these questions asked me all the time and I, and I know Brandon does and, and Dan, you as well. The 90s, maybe you could say the 80s as well, but I know the 90s and the early 2000s, over in Europe, guys were making a lot of money. And then kind of when the financial crisis hit in 2008, things kind of dipped in a lot of different countries. And even in, in Italy and France where I was playing, money was down. Like, can you explain what money looks like over there? Because, again, when people are like, yeah, I'm going to go play overseas, I'm going to make a, you know, I'm going to make a bag. It's like – Dude, you might be making fifteen hundred bucks a month mm-hmm. in a country that maybe ten, fifteen years ago you would have been making five to eight G's a month. Like, mm-hmm. explain maybe a few countries, and you don't have to say any names as far as players, but like, explain some countries and what a contract would look like. Say in, I don't know, Italy, France, Germany, or or, or some small countries. What that in twenty twenty? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So again, I won't speak to any specific of our players' money. I'm going to speak in generalities about um, these different countries. But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I can't really speak to the '90s because I was born in '91, so I wasn't paying attention my, my to bad. My bad. Uh, <laughs> Euro- European basketball markets when I was eight. But um, I've heard good money. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before the 2008 crisis. You know, um, like my partner Mike Nadich has been doing this 25 years, and he always tells stories about the heyday of the you know early 2000s where guys in Belgium were getting paid you know $300,000 to be backups like the money was just flowing and then the market crashed and now those same guys were getting 20,000 instead of 300,000 and they had to start and, and grow back and it's at a point where you know a lot of guys you'll see you know they, they think like we talked about they think they're going to leave college go get a bag overseas there are very few well-paying jobs at the Euro League level guys can make in the millions um, those are like, you know, former NBA players or future NBA players. Um, and there are a handful of jobs in the six figures if you're in uh, Spain, France, Italy, uh, Germany, Russia, Australia, China, Japan, Korea, some of these top tier countries, Israel, there are guys making 100, 200, 300, 400,000. Um, but the vast majority of jobs overseas are in the like two or $3,000 a month range. So a lot of these guys who are, maybe if you average 12 points per game at a mid-major school, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go make money overseas. No, you're going to go make, you know, $1,200 a month in Slovakia. And it's not, it's not pretty. You know, um, you know, Jay Sean was, you know, had a great career. So he was able to start at the Champions League level where you get, you know, he had a great two-bedroom apartment and you, you get to travel internationally. You're making good money. But the vast majority of guys who are starting a professional career overseas are starting in a place where they're making less than they'd be making uh, – just getting a regular job here. And a lot of times, I mean, accommodations aren't great. Um, travel isn't great. You know, the language barrier, um, there's, it's, it's, it's tough for a lot of guys just starting out and you got to work your way up. So a lot of guys, you get that first job overseas. It's almost like if you don't kill, you might as well retire. It's like you get that first shot and you either stake your claim. There's a player, um, uh, Mike James, who's a EuroLeague star making over a million a year. His first job, was probably making like $1,500 a month, but he went and he killed and now he worked his way up. And now he's one of the, the biggest stars, Darius Adams, another player is in China, but making over a million started out probably making $1,500 a month. 
but that's one in a million. The majority of guys go overseas thinking they're going to get, you know, fame and riches. And they find out quickly that it's, it's a brutal cold world and they end up back, back at home trying to figure out what to do next. Well, that's the way Stanton was like, <clears throat> you know, we're going to get him on the pod later on, but when he went over there and I used to get up and, you know, watch those games and stuff early in the morning and like that dude showed up and was killing and it was Belgium to then go to Germany. All right. Killing Germany. All right. Then go to Turkey with Drus Faka. Got to kill Drus Faka. And then, you know, finally, you know, playing in the summer league multiple years in a row finally gets, you know, the NBA shot. Like, damn, <laughs> like it was exhausting to watch that process, you know, and, and going into that, like, you know, I, I remember him talking about those first contracts and stuff and me thinking like, well, wait a minute. I've always heard that, you know, you go be a pro over in Europe and all this kind of stuff. And like, it's just not what I think a lot of people perceive it to be. Um, you know, like you said, there are some guys that are, you know, making these, these luxurious livings out of it. But I mean, Jay Sean being an all big 10 guy goes to Antwerp and like, there's a lot of work ahead, right. To, to get, to get to where you're going. So you go to Antwerp, you're, you're, you're doing awesome. And then Sydney's next, right? So first there is some, Oh yeah. Another summer league, another summer league. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, after my season with Antwerp, I did pretty well. Um, You know, I think like before the season was over, we already had some team offers uh, for me to come in for summer league. And um, I ended up going with uh, Denver. So we got back. I want to say the, the first of all, the season in Europe is 10, 10 and a half months. So like if you, for all those young guys out there who want to be, you know, overseas, you know, ball players, you're not going to be home. And when you are home, um, it's going to be maybe two months to a month and a half. Um, so we got back and I had a week and then I had to go report to a mini camp for Denver. So like I got to see my family for literally seven days and then I'm right back, um, you know, trying to make the, an NBA roster. So I go to Denver. Um, before you, how many games did you play that year between Champions League, Belgian regular season, Belgium playoffs, yeah. Belgium finals? was like 90-something games? I want to say it was almost 80. Yeah, almost 80. Almost 80 games the whole season. And uh, nobody's getting paid like an NBA player over there. Two-a-day practices. Like Those practices are like legit, legit, right? Yeah, there is no, you know, walkthrough. Like your practice tape, sometimes tape, uh, depending on your team and your coach, uh, a lot of teams have Serbian coaches, and all they love to do is run you for three hours. So, um, uh, yeah, it's like it's real. And some some teams don't have the resources, like um, you know, a strength and conditioning person or uh, or ice. Like it's uh, it's a real deal. So um, after that, I went to Denver. Um, First game of summer league coming around. Finally, break my finger, ready to go. I'm, I'm ready. We're, we're in the locker room, going over the game plan. All of a sudden, the ground starts shaking. They're like, "What's going on?" Like the board's moving. They're like, oh my god, we're in an earthquake. So like, people running out the building. They canceled the games for like what two days. 
mm-hmm. and they they don't reschedule them. So now I'm like, not again. Like I don't, I'm never going to play summer league. It's just not, it's not meant to happen. It's not meant to happen. So um, we finally get to play, but I think we only got to play two games, two, two, two games, and then uh, we didn't make the playoffs, and it was over. So this was in Vegas. This is in this Vegas. This was in Vegas. This is in Vegas. It was crazy because, like that, you know, all season I'm communicating with NBA teams about JT, and they're all there. This is the first night of summer league, the primetime game, ESPN. Everyone's there. All the NBA scouts are there. We're ready. I'm in the stands. All of a sudden, the scoreboard starts shaking. And it's an earthquake. I'm <laughs> from the tunnel. Like I don't know if we're gonna play, bro. <laughs> and it's like, what? Like, what are the odds? You know? And then the broken finger, the earthquake. And you know, now we're going through. Obviously, with coronavirus, we're always talking about are there gonna be games when it's coming back? Well, we went through that in a mini version for two days in Vegas, where we we're like. <laughs> Can the building, you know, if there's another earthquake, can the structure take the impact? Are we going to have games? Are we going to cancel Summer League? So we're sitting here like, man, this dude's never going to get to play Summer League. <laughs> Finally got to play two games or three games. And the first one, I remember, you had that fast break dunk where you you, like, you yammed one in the lane and not like you didn't even play your best game, but it was at the end of the game you had that dunk um, and that like it went viral a little bit and then people started yeah. talking. And you start, he starts getting this buzz. It just took that one game. He starts getting this buzz. Keep in mind, your summer league, every NBA team has every one of their scouts and front office people there. Every European team has their coach and GM there. So you've got a hundred important eyes watching any game. So that first dunk, and then the next game, he plays great again. And then that third game was that that night game. You played the last game of the night in the main gym, and there weren't that many people there. You mm-hmm. guys lost. You should have won that one, and then you get oh, man. In the playoffs, and that was yeah. it. Yeah, that was it. But um, with that, Sydney uh, was in contact with DP. Um, There definitely was other teams as well. And, um, you know, when Andrew Bogut calls your phone, (laughs) that's pretty big deal. Um, But no, like those dudes were recruiting me like like it was college again. Like I was hearing from players, GMs, coaches. Like I just felt like I, I was wanted. You know, like there was even another team uh, in in the league in the in, in Australia NBL that offered more money, um, but like the one one like the what they what I felt when they were calling me and like how much they wanted me, it was just hard not to pick there. And with the buzz with Lamelo and the next stars, Didi Lozano, um, they had a scouting agency for the NBA. Um, in Australia this year. So um, that definitely came down to the decision because I knew that there was going to be NBA eyes and, and that's my ultimate, you know, end goal to get there. And uh, it was a great season. It, it seems like more recently in the last few years, the NBL has really taken off. I mean, I know it's been good basketball for quite a while, Dan, but like, it, it, am I, am I, Am I off there that the NBL is getting so much more attention now? I mean, I know the whole Lamelo thing, but even without him, it, it seems like the NBL has become a place where, you know, you can really be tested, and if you're successful, then that that really means something. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's become one of the best leagues in the world. Um, and I remember that 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 summer. I mean, again, you go back before the summer before where it was like Antwerp, and it's like we're having to convince them to to offer JT, and then this. That, the next summer, we literally have a spreadsheet on our phone of every single country, dozens of offers. Like every, he literally like could have thrown a dart at the map and just picked any team in the world. 
Um, but it was actually Jay Sean, you know, my partner, EJ played in Australia in like their second or third division or something when he was a pro and his brother lives out there. So he has a really good understanding of that market. And I remember it was JT actually that made, made the decision was like, yo, this is where I want to go for X, Y, and Z reason. And, um, it couldn't have worked out better, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of horror stories in Europe of guys not getting paid on time or the accommodations not being good or, you know, political strife in the country. There's all these things that go wrong, but Australia is like the most professional league guys get paid on time. The fans are great. The coaching is great. All the things that Jay Sean described that you don't have in Europe where like you don't have the recovery or the ice baths or the, okay. In Australia, it's almost like an NBA team where you've got everything you need. You've got, you know, and it, um, it couldn't have, couldn't have worked out better. Now, unfortunately, the coronavirus is affecting leagues around the world and it is affecting the NBL. And we don't know how much it's going to affect it, but hopefully the league will pull through because it's it's really a, a world-class, world-class league in every way. Yeah. I mean, for you listeners out there, I know you can't see it, but that my background in our Zoom call here is the Sydney Kings arena. And this thing looks like an NBA game. Like, it's crazy. And and I remember, I remember when I was... Um, I think I was out in LA uh, this year when you guys were playing and I'm pulling up my phone, like watching the games. Cause Dan had come down to Australia. And so I'm watching these games and I'm like, yeah, I had not watched an NBL game before. And I'm like, Holy crap. <laughs> this is, this is crazy. Um, so now Dan mentioned before we got on that you really kind of fell in love with Australia yeah. and you fell in love with the people and the culture down there, which, you know, I think a lot of people, um, have this misperception that like Australia is just kind of like Europe light and, and, you know, isn't its own very distinctive like culture, but, you know, maybe talk to us a little bit just about like what it was like down there. You know, what, yeah. what this is, this is a whole different like thing for you. Now you've gone to Antwerp and and now you're going to the complete opposite side of the planet. Like what, what was that like? Uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, an experience just to be there and, I mean, wake up on the beach, you know, Sydney is like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Like there's so many beaches, there's so much stuff to do. The sun's always shining. Uh, people are always smiling. Like they have the nicest people um, I've ever been around. And um, like they get behind their sports, like sports in Australia, I think is like the big thing. Of course, rugby, um, or they call it footy, uh, is like the the number one sport there in cricket, but like they get around all types of sports. And like you said, on, on your screen, uh, that was probably almost 18,000 fans. Um, and we did that a few times. So uh, it was just like being a rock star there. It was literally like um, everywhere you go, people know your name, they want your autograph. Um, it was jerseys sold out the day it went on sale. Once yeah. it's still in the beginning of the year, they printed a whole run of Jay Sean Tate jerseys and they sold out the first game. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sydney, like the fan base, they just got, got behind us no matter win or lose. Uh, you don't have people heckling you or, you know, sending you tweets like they got behind you. And I really enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the podcast. iTunes ratings and reviews are also extremely helpful. Your support is what helps us move the needle and keep this thing going. We love and appreciate all of you. Now, back to the show. Dan, I have a question for you. Um, most people don't understand the, the overseas life of contracts. Mm -hmm. So many people sign a one-year deal, sometimes a two-year, maybe three-year, where 
in the NBA, you see guys sign six-year, seven-year deals, and you come out of the draft, you're a four-year, whatever type deal. Explain that a little bit uh, of, of contracts-wise, like what, so people that don't have any clue about that. Yeah, well, the whole overseas thing is like a chess game that like we talked about before. It's like picking each spot right so you can get to the next spot, which the ultimate is the NBA, obviously, or the EuroLeague. Um, and you know, you don't want to lock a player into a long-term deal because you're always thinking like, Hey, this isn't where I want to stay. Cause I'm trying to get to the next place. Um, so some places do two, three year deals. And a lot of times it's the team trying to lock the player into, you know, a, a cheap contract for a long time or with an NBA buyout so that if they do make the NBA, the team can get paid off of that and fund their next year's salaries from that. Um, but yeah, overseas is really a year to year thing. Like JT's uh, dad played in what, 12 countries over 15 years or something like that. Like a lot of guys, it's a different country every year. Um, but then sometimes the, the higher levels you get to, there is more stability in the NBL, in the Euro league in the NBA, you end up getting more, more stability. Um, like, you know, there, there are guys in the NBL who have been on their teams for a while because there's no reason to leave. A lot of guys get to the NBL, like a Jerome Randall, he got there and just stuck for years and years and years. Um, cause it, it's kind of a, a destination. Whereas a lot of Europe is a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. For sure, and that's what I—I I mean, I played on every team. Every year was a new was a new team. I never stayed in in, in one one team. Did you ever play in the same country twice? Uh, I was I was in Italy uh, two different years in Naples and up near Milan, um, and then mm-hmm. France. I was in France three years and all around the country, but never on the same team. So you know th- this Jay Sean Tate story comes to this point now with. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the playoffs, the finals, coronavirus hits. Here we are, and 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 it's you know it's a pause button. Uh, you know, for for those listening that don't know, uh, Jay Sean finished All NBL first team, which is huge because like we just talked about, like how many good 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 players, like borderline NBA guys, NBA guys that you know are maybe just past their prime, whatever, are playing in this league. Like this is a big deal. So. Now coming into, you know, whenever things come back to normal, I, I guess, like what, what is this, what does this preparation time look like for both of you in what's next for Jay Sean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think specifically for me, um, it's just trying to get as much of a edge on, you know, my opponents as possible. And that's doing home workouts every day trying to stay in shape and, and, and get ready for what's next. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, teams I know DP's talking to in NBA with some interest. And, um, you know, I want to try to be prepared. I don't want to use this time in isolation as, you know, a crutch uh, to, you know, get out of shape or uh, not be as ready as I can because it'll be an opportunity. And, um, you know, you got to be ready for it no matter how it comes. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to speak to individual opportunities, you know, necessarily I'll just say whatever's next for Jay Sean Tate's career is going to be really exciting. Um, it's going to be great because he's worked hard to put himself in a position where he's got options. And, you know, for us, this coronavirus time is, is scary and crazy for everybody. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, not even Adam Silver knows if basketball's coming back, when basketball's coming back. So all we can do is, is prepare for when that time comes. So I have, you know, three other agents at my company you know, and a, a big team of people. We're working every day. We're calling NBA teams every day. We're on the phone. I mean, I'm on the phone 12, 15 hours a day between um, NBA teams and 
teams in Europe and Asia and just preparing for every possible scenario. Um, you don't want all of a sudden for them to say, all right, basketball is back on and now we're having to scramble. So we're talking with teams about every different scenario. Well, if the season does come back and there's just a regular season, there's a regular season and a playoffs, this is how it's going to happen. Well, if the season comes back and there's just a playoffs, this is how it's going to happen. If the season doesn't come back, but there's a transaction window, this is what we're going to do. If the season doesn't come back at all and it's just next season, it starts in September, this is what we're going to do. If the season comes back in December, this is what we're going to do. And it, it becomes more difficult because we have to figure out every different scenario. Talking to clubs in Europe about, well, if we come back with no fans, how will that affect revenues? If we come back with fans, but the season gets paused, are those contracts still guaranteed? There's so much to work out. So we're just doing our best as agents to, you know, gather as much information as we can and be prepared for every scenario. And I've been talking to JT and it's good to know that um, he's working as hard as we are harder. Like he's, you know, tinkering with his diet and exercise routines to get his body in the perfect conditioning, which he didn't get to do last summer because it was such a short summer. Um, he's even sending me workouts and I'm going to do my sprinting workout later today after the call. Um, but I think this quarantine for everybody, not just in basketball, but in all walks of life, it, it separates uh, the people who are really committed to, to, to their craft and people who aren't. Because if you're going to use this as an excuse to not work, that's what your character is. But if you're going to use this as a, a way to get ahead and to say, all right, maybe it's not the, the um, best circumstances, but let's use this this time and see what I can get out of it they're going to be people that, that come out of this um, better than, than when they started. So, Dan, do you think it's important for, for players, I mean, that are, that are playing pro right now, but even more so the ones in the next year or two coming out of college, to understand that, like, overseas, there's going to be a lot of teams that fold. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what happened when I was, in 2008 when I was over there playing. Like, there was a lot of teams that folded because over there, it's not multi-billion dollar people that own teams it's they might be the pasta guy that owns whatever and this 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 so there's gonna be a lot less jobs and there's probably gonna be a lot less money in certain countries so they're gonna want the creme de la creme and you know it's gonna be doggy dog even more so when it already has been that but maybe times 10 times 20 so like i don't want you to say like because I, I want you to get your players but for a lot of other guys that are like the you know the mid-level guys that hey I've always wanted to play pro ball. Like there's going to have to be a, a, a hard dose of reality for a lot of players. I think coming up in the next few years, it's just like, Hey, your, your time is done. And it's, yeah. I don't, it's going to be, I, well, I think it's important for the college kids right now too. Right. That, like if you're the guys, the next two years coming out of college, yeah. if not three, like it's yeah. a whole different landscape. And I, you're coming into college now. Like you, you better be really focused on what's important in college, you know, as well as basketball, but the, the idea that, that there's just going to be all these opportunities everywhere, like, man, go to class, do your, you know, figure out what you, what else you love, figure out, not, not that you should give up on anything, but that like, be prepared. Right. I mean, it's no different than the rest of the workforce, right? There's 15% unemployment in our country right now. And it's going up. Businesses are closing every day. It's tough to be a college graduate right now, looking for a job anywhere. And basketball is no different. Um, like you said, like a lot of these teams, the NBA is going to be fine. The NBA is a multi-billion dollar business. A lot of these teams in Europe or Asia aren't even profitable. They lose money every year, but they're kind of some wealthy person puts money into it because of their, their pride for their community or whatever, or a rivalry with another owner. So some of the salaries get inflated because guys want to win. Um, but if your business is losing money, you're not going to just be giving money to the local basketball team. Um, and if there can't be fans in the stands and that's their, you know, 
in the States, we get all this TV uh, money with the, with, the, with the NBA. A lot of those teams in Europe are, are really relying on fans in the stands and sponsorships in, in those arenas. So it's really, you know, not a great time for, for guys to be starting their, their pro career. And it's unfortunate. Like I get every single day, I get uh, former college players or current college players reaching out to me, asking for advice on going pro. And I usually keep a running list in my phone of guys who, if I hear about a, like a, a low-level job, guys where I can put their name in and try and help them out. You know, not guys who are my clients, but I keep a running list of like favor guys. Unfortunately, this year when guys like that are reaching out to me, I'm not even. Usually, I'll say, "Oh, look, if I hear about a job, like I got you." This year, I'm saying, "Like, hey, bro, it might be rough for you because those low-level level teams with $600 a month job month jobs are folding. They're not going to have a season next year. They might have no imports or no no foreign players. So it's it's tough, but you know, we'll, it'll rebound, man. This virus will pass, and just like after 2008, it'll build back up. But these next few years, it's going to be rough for some people. Jay, what would you tell players, like the guys that you know, or guys coming out right now? Like, if you're just being real with them, like, man, hey, Jay, I want to go play in Australia like you in two years. Like, <laughs> what do you tell them? Yeah. Um, well, first for the young guys, like the ones you know that have years of eligibility left, like stay in school, like. It's not a rush, especially now. There's not even a draft process. You know, team, I think teams are doing Zoom calls with guys now. Like, there's not even a, a process for you to even showcase if you're trying to get to that NBA level. Or right now, there's not a summer league. Um, and we don't know how long this is going to, you know, last. And that's basically for rookies, um, like, how you get viewed by other European teams um, and show your worth. Um, but for the guys that play in those lower level leagues, man, I mean, yeah, like they have to face the reality that, you know, these even top league teams are taking hits and, you know, you got to be ready to look in the mirror and, you know, see what, 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 what you can do more of or what's next for you. Well, before we let you guys go, Jay Sean, you know, for, for, for all the, especially like the, the, the young guys that are out there listening to this, regardless of what age they are, um, you know, you've been through, you've been through a lot in your life. Um, and, and you've, you've persevered and fought through a lot of things to, to get to this point where you're on the cusp of, of being an NBA player. What's, what's the most important thing that you can think of right now at this moment to say to anybody that's listening out there that, that just kind of needs to hear something on, on how to, to, to have that same kind of drive and perseverance in their life. Yeah, um, I would say just, you know, always bet on yourself and, you know, never let anybody tell you that, you know, you're not good enough or you're too this or too that. Like, if you really want it and you're going to be dedicated to it and, and you're pouring everything you have into it, um, you know, there's going to be some obstacles. And uh, I think that's the best part about it. Like, when, once you go through those obstacles and, you know, every every step of the way you get higher you get closer to your destination like that's that's the fun part i mean these last two years um thinking about my my career these last two years have been the best basketball careers of my like years of my life in terms of um, my play on the court uh the people i'm meeting uh the places i'm going um and you know i'm just enjoying the ride of course i'm working to get to that end goal which is the nba but um you know Every step of the way, I've proved myself right, proved others wrong. 
And uh, that's that's the one thing I want to tell tell kids. It's like just keep on keep on uh, being dedicated to it. It's, it's not going to be easy. There's going to people going to be people who don't believe in the dream you have, but you, you can achieve it if you think you can. Gentlemen, we sincerely appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun for us, and uh, we cannot wait to uh, to kind of see when when things come back to some level of normalcy. Jay Sean, see where you go and and follow you on the next uh, part of your career. And uh, Dan, I know I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, for the listeners that don't know, me and Brandon talk like almost every day. So this is <laughs> by soon I mean probably later this evening. <laughs> Actually, well, we went through a period the last month where we didn't talk quite as much, and it, it, it like left a void in my life. And the reason being is you're talking to other people on this podcast rather than calling me. You found another outlet for your com- conversational skills. <laughs> so um, you know, I'm not, I'm fine with it. You know, I, I, I accept that you have other friends. I'll live, but uh, I have needs, Dan. I have needs. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys well again we sincerely appreciate you and uh and we'll talk soon thanks guys thanks for having me guys appreciate it